You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 216. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! All right, trips! And we have someone else joining us for this week's episode. That is Brian Ego, also known as Eggman. Hi, Brian. Woo. Hey, hey, what a dramatic introduction that was. <laughs> Oof. Fooling all the, the listeners and stuff. Hey, how the hell are you doing, guys? Very well, thank you. Very well, very well. How are you? Yeah, not bad. All things considered, not bad. It's been a long time since I've been on. Yeah. A couple of things have yes. happened since then, you might have noticed, but yeah. um, uh, otherwise not too bad. Hey, <laughs> I, I was going to ask, guys, the last time I was on, um, I did offer to give any top patron donators a sexy remedy. <laughs> I'm presuming that the patron numbers went through the roof after that, so I'm just wondering when <laughs> yeah. when are you going to send me the, the list of people I should be administering my sexy remedy to? <laughs> I have it right <laughs> here brian we'll send it right over after we've finished okay, recording oh wait a minute we need to run run that with them first uh, because i don't think they've agreed to us sharing their uh, contact details just yet uh, okay. so uh ah. yeah i think i think we will have a couple of difficulties technical difficulties with well that. Yeah. it may mean breaking some social distancing policy as well doing that so could, let's, could yeah, be, could let, be. let's take that one offline shall we <laughs> oh how is that going by the way ah well i mean As as somebody who has worked from home for the last 15 years and who has an 11-month-old ah. baby in the house, I didn't go out much anyway. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's there's not a huge difference at Ego Mansions, really. Have you even noticed any difference? Yeah, I miss hanging out with my friends, I guess. Um, we've had a couple of online hangouts. And of course... Um, we're missing out on Monday nights, uh, skeptics in the pub in Glasgow. So yeah. you know that that's yeah. a shame. But you know there there is a, a little bit of um, silver lining to that cloud. There's a number of skeptics groups across the UK and maybe a little bit further afield as well that are forming a little coalition at the moment to try and get together and organise some online live online lectures. So all being well. Assuming we can grab some decent speakers, we hopefully should be announcing something within the next week or so. Hmm. Merseyside Skeptics did a little, um, should we say, test event on Thursday, um, just with their kind of regular audience, and, and it went very well. The technology worked well. So our, our next step is to try and um, harvest some good speakers from across the world. So I guess this is a good point to, to call out to all ESP listeners, if there's anybody that you'd like to nominate to, to sort of speak on one of our online events, then send the details in to us. Um, I guess, you know, the requirements we've got, um, preferably somebody from 
outside the UK. We want to try and grab people that we wouldn't normally have for skeptics in the pub. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody who's a good speaker um, and particularly a good online speaker. Um, I'm sure you guys know from trying to sort of deliver engaging podcast content for many years now that, <laughs> you know, there's there's a, a big difference between speaking in front of a live audience and there is speaking in front of a virtual audience. So it's got to be somebody with a little bit of pep. Um, so, yeah, any suggestions? Um, we would welcome them all. Yeah, that would be great. All right. So how many how many people were in the tests? I think it was last Thursday, right? How many attendants? Yeah, yeah, it, it was under a hundred, so like somewhere between fifty and a hundred, I think. Oh, um, that's quite a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It, it was good. It was it was well attended. There was you know as well as a sort of Merseyside kind of regular audience. There was a number of people like like me and a few others from other skeptics groups who are nosing in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we one of the guys from the Merseyside Skeptics Lorry was using a tool called Lightstream in order to sort of easily broadcast the presenter into Twitch. So Twitch was the the medium for for us to actually kind of I guess broadcasting um, seemed pretty easy to join, easy to comment. Um, so we had a good amount of interaction in the comments area. We used a separate tool for people to submit their questions as well, which really works because you don't. I mean, it's actually better than in a live environment because you don't <laughs> get the chance to say, "Well, I've got more of a comment than a question," and waffle on for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's people right. had that's to right. post. We all love one uh, those type of people, don't we? We all yeah. have at least one of those, right? There's de- there's a few in Glasgow. Uh. So, you know, not only do you have to post actual questions, but they get they would get upvoted as well. So they bubbled up to the top. Yeah. So Mike, Michael Marshall was hosting that, Marsh, and um, with the suspicion of having COVID-19 at the same time. He'd been really, really rough for a couple of days. Um, you know, obviously, policy in the UK is not to test anybody unless they end up in hospital. But um, it's uh, suspected wow. that, that he was, um, you know... Under the COVID nineteen spell, um, but he he managed to brave through it and and hosted us through an excellent event. Yeah, great. Oh, great. Well, I can imagine that you will get a lot of people participating in this. I mean, from all over the world, basically, uh, if if yeah, time zones I- permit. Yeah? That's the hope, you know. But we really want to try and create something that is as engaging and inclusive and collaborative as a regular Skeptics in the Pub event because it would be easy enough just to record some content and post it on YouTube but there's plenty of YouTube lectures and channels out there already so we want to try and make sure we sort of recreate that live experience so Mm -hmm. what time was it Brian? it was on Thursday at 7pm UK time Mm. Ah, and it looks like that's what we're going to be going with Mm, it's still to be confirmed you know we've got we've got a short list of speakers Uh, potential speakers that we're trying to reach out to and you know obviously we're very much dependent on their willingness and ability to come and speak for us in the first place let alone at any particular given time and date so Mm -hmm. uh, you know again we're we're not quite at the time of recording here um, not quite ready to announce anything but maybe by the time that this podcast goes out on Thursday maybe there'll be something there so if you're a member of a, a local UK skeptics group then um, we're going to be asking them to kind of push out the advertising of any events that we um, that, that we we set up so you know look, look in your usual places in order to find it and of course I'll let you guys know as well and you'll be putting it into your events calendar of right? course yes yes oh definitely I was going to suggest that yeah 
All right, cool. That that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah. And uh, uh, the timing is pretty good. I mean, uh, for for the individual events because it's uh, in uh, Central European time. It's just one hour ahead of that, so it's very convenient even for those who who happen to be working outside of their home, even under these circumstances. Uh, they might be home by then. So I think it's uh, it's pretty cool. So hope that uh, a lot of people will hear from this uh, from from this podcast and uh, follow the lead. Come join us. Um, yeah, and um, it seems like it's happening all over Europe. Actually, that more and more organizations try to to move their content and their uh, regular events to the internet. See how it will uh, uh, work out in the long run. When we go back to the normal lives, yeah, that, sure, that we led right. Yeah, now we have we have initiatives here in Sweden as well. I'm actually going to be the speaker on the 16th of April, and we will put that in the calendar as well. Uh, well, when I have decided what I'm going to talk about, it's going to be more like <laughs> a, a test uh, to see, and it's going to be in Swedish, but. Uh, but still, we'll put it in the calendar for those who are interested. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, w- I was going to say, oh, I'll listen, Pontus, but uh, I don't you, think... You, you can, <laughs> you can, but you won't understand a lot of it. But Yeah, if we manage to p- uh, pull it off here in Hungary, you can you can try the Hungarian ver- uh, the Hungarian uh, talk as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know who the first speaker would be, but uh, we are definitely thinking of running with it. Okay, so... Uh, Welcome back, Brian. <laughs> and the good thing is that you're not just uh, here to talk about skeptics in the pub online, because you're going to stay with us for the duration of the whole episode. So we packed a little bit of uh, weight on your shoulders as well with uh, <laughs> a couple of news items that you will cover. So um, yeah, welcome back. It's always great to have you on the show. Talking of which, I think we should crack on with the actual show right let's do it and good idea <laughs> i hoped you would say that uh so i'd like to ask you yelena okay why don't you tell us something uh that happened this week with relevance to skeptics uh yes the event i want to talk about today uh happened back in april 2nd of april 2008 and it was a stabbing event I don't ever talk about people being stabbed. Stabbing event. Is that like a pre-organized thing? That... No, it's too few of those. <laughs> we should have more more of those events, actually, I think. But um, but what um, grabbed my attention was who got stabbed. Okay. And it was a biologist, Rupert Sheldrake. I vaguely was uh, familiar with his name, but um, now I'm familiar with his name a little bit more. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. So that let me just tell you about the stabbing event. Uh, he was given a lecture in America um, on one of his themes, consciousness and something or the other. And uh, after the lecture was finished, he was addressing some of the, some of the lecture goers um, with questions and things like that. And the guy from the crowd just uh, approached him and stabbed him into his leg oh. with a with a knife. As it uh, transpired later, well, so he he was immediately held and uh, police was called and he, the, the, uh, Rupert Sheldrake was taken into the hospital. He was fine. And as it transpired later, the guy who stabbed him, well, he said that he stabbed him because he he was hearing voices that told him to stab him. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so he he, had the, uh, he he was convicted later on, but um, he was also convicted as a uh, somebody who wasn't in, uh, of a sound mind. 
So that's the um, that's the that's the story. Well, that that kind of I picked up on today, but um, it's an interesting one because of, like I said, who the person is. And he was born in the United Kingdom, but then um, he received uh, his bio- degree in biology in, in Cambridge University, out of all places. He uh, he actually earned doctorate uh, in biochemistry in 1967. Um, but the way his life turned out, um, I can imagine he wasn't sa- quite satisfied with the scientific life or science and the, the he, he described them as, um, the borders that the science kind of gives you. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, it wasn't enough for him. So he was looking for something else and he came up, he came up with something called morphic resonance. Ooh. So let me just read you an extract from the interview because I am not going to attempt to even, formulated with my own words. So Sheldrake, as as per his own words, Sheldrake said, and I quote, morphic resonance is the influence of previous structures of activity on subsequent similar structures of activity organized by morphic fields. It enables memories to pass across both space and time from the past. The greater the similarity, the greater the influence of morphic, morphic resonance. What this means is that all self-organizing systems, such as molecules, crystals, cells, plants, animals, and animal societies, have a collective memory on which each individual draws on and to which it contributes. In its most general sense, this hypothesis implies that the so-called laws of nature are more like habits. End of <laughs> did you follow? Did you follow that? Basically, yeah, perfectly, we all connect- perfectly clear. Perfectly clear to me. I think. Yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> But basically, we're all connected um, with this field, um, an, an energy field, an information field, and um, uh, memory field. And therefore, he was uh, claiming that also means that we there is telepathy, telepathy, and it can be proven, although nobody yet has proven that. Uh, that that's why the dogs know when the uh, the owners are coming home, even though they can't see them yet. So because there is. A memory of them? I don't know. A future memory of what you know. What this is, will have happened? Right. This is just a fancy but very uncool way of explaining the force. Ah. I think. And and then he he said, and that's how you explain that people will know when somebody stares at them. That's a little bit far fetched. A little bit far fetched. I'd say. You know, I'll I'll come out there and say it right out uh, of the gates. Here are a couple of books. The actual names of the books that he's written. Dogs that know when their owners are coming home and other unexplained powers of animals. The sense of being stared at and other aspects of extended mind. Uh, he's written one book, actually, uh, called uh. The Science Delusion, Freeing the Spirit of Inquiry. Uh. The Science Delusion, really, oh, a little yeah, bit on the nose uh. here. 2012, that book was published after The God Delusion, for sure. It's not very original, even. I've got that, uh, I've got that book. D- did you read it? I started reading it. And I have to admit that after about 20 pages, I had to put it down. Oh. Yeah. Does it mention mid- midichlorians at all? Because somebody, you felt that somebody was staring at you, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt, I felt I could kill someone. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it didn't really bring out the best of me, <laughs> to, to say the least. And I found it, I found it uh, totally a waste of time, uh, which is not a good approach, actually. You should be reading that book. <laughs> Cover to cover, yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. but no, not, not 
Not always, Andras. I mean, there are bullshit that we don't have to focus a lot on. I mean, you can't give everything the same amount of attention. I don't know. You know, there's this guy uh, here in Hungary, goes by the name uh, Georg Egeli, and he made a career out of uh, publishing books on, well, proper perpetual motion machines. Hmm. And he gives... Define proper. His background is engineering. And, uh, and I think he's a physicist by training. But he provides very detailed mathematical equations and ex- explanations as to why that, is, that, that machine that he explains works. And you can only decipher all that and, and you can only go into enough detail and debunk his theories if you are familiar with the, with the math part and, and, and you do the math. Yeah. And I only know one person who has done that, but he's a laborious physicist, the the debunker guy, and he's a member of our organization, but he's just crazy about uh, physics, and not everyone is. So <laughs> there are cases when you have to go into the details and the small small details, and with a, a, a well-educated and highly educated guy like Rupert Sheldrake, I think you have to be on top of a couple of things at least to be able to debunk his theories. Yeah, so he, he's actually influenced uh, people who we have heard a lot about, like Deepak Chopra. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, and I actually used to have a book, I might have thrown thrown it in the bin, <laughs> that we won uh, when we lost um, a quiz at the... Um, oh, QED. Uh, QED, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might have left it in the hotel somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, right next to the Bible, right? Hopefully like, nobody right picked it up. I've heard of his experiment with dogs and and I think the data is questionable and the parameters that they used to define it was questionable. I think if you ch- tweak those pal- parameters a little bit, suddenly the, 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 the data becomes um, considerably less compelling, you know? But yeah. surely then, like, maybe the guy that's tried to stab him could have got away with it if he just sort of blamed it on morphic resonance you know it was oh it was yeah it was the universe um it was a memory from the universe telling me to stick a blade in your in your leg yeah yeah. well i think i can see how he can appeal to people who look at the science and they're not satisfied with with the answers that science is offering often and so he kind of expands this view and he encompasses this other things you know the me- we have this memory we're all connected there's other thing apart from the physical reality there's a- something else be- beyond that and it's a very appealing argument just like with the argument for god and other um, spiritual things so i get it but um you know i don't yeah obviously support this. I'm telling you this guy is just a massive fan of Star Wars but he didn't gonna w- w- wanna go with that instead he wanted to sound very sciencey. Yeah, yeah he's no he started off from some Indian uh, teachings he f- he first oh, okay. read a couple of things and so there is something similar in India let me just try to pronounce that hang on it's called Akashic Records um, apparently which is very similar to what he's talking about uh, I'm going to quote from Wikipedia now. Um, Akashic Chronicle is a compendium of all human events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, present, or future. They are believed by theosophists to be encoded in a non-physical plane of existence knows, known as the etheric plane. So this is, it's not a new concept. He's just 
was reading about this, these things as, as he was uh, growing up and establishing himself as a scientist. And he went, hey, that sounds great. You know, it kind of resonates with me for one reason or the other. Maybe he was looking for something spiritual in his life. And boom, he was very popular with his ideas in, in, in India, by the way. But they said, hey, nothing new. We already, <laughs> we already, we already know had this. that. Yeah. It's an impressive <laughs> word salad, isn't it? And then, <laughs> then he sees the Phantom Menace and he goes off the radar, you know. Um, it's happened to us all. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's me. Uh, that's my yeah. story about the stabbing. Next time, story of murder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. The European Skeptics podcast does not in any way condone uh, the stabbing of Absolutely not. scientists. No. Don't if you can help it, don't yeah, stab people. Yeah, we don't people. agree with that. No, <laughs> if no, you no, can no, help it, that's a good that. qualifier. If you can help <laughs> it, don't help stab it. people. Intellectual <laughs> stabbing only. Yeah, we 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 stab them with their minds and our logic. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> This is what uh, Richard Wiseman does. And uh, if memory serves, uh, his book Paranormality explained that uh, experiment with the dogs in detail. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, um, hmm. because the, the subtitle of Paranormality was why we see that isn't there. And it turns out that that dog thing, that the dogs can uh, sense that the owner arrives, is arriving home. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist, that effect. So the f- phenomenon is, is non-existent. So anyway. It's because it's you're, you're such a hardcore skeptic and you yeah. don't want to see anything beyond. You have to open your <laughs> mind, Andros. Oh, okay. But I don't want my brains to fall out. No. Nope. That's a problem. Uh, okay. <laughs> so moving on to a very fun segment when Pontus pokes the pole. Oh, Yes. Yeah, these days, um, Francis is grappling with the obvious problem that he has. When a pandemic like this strikes, it becomes all too obvious that his religion is totally helpless and useless. He desperately wants to be able to show that it helps to turn to the church, right? But instead, he has to cut down on his offerings because the, the reality of the thing, when people want this god of his to fix the real issue... God is nowhere to be found. And even Frankie, I think, must feel some doubt now. Uh, And um, yeah, I I almost feel for him a little bit. So (laughs) he does what he can, Frankie. And um, on the 27th of March, he held an extra prayer service in front of a totally empty St. Peter's Square, due, of course, to the restrictions. So there he stands, talking into the void, and uh, of course he the thing was also streamed online, so he had some audience, but I, I think he must feel pretty lonely right now. Mm. So what did he say? He repeated the message from the week before, that if you follow his instructions and read the Bible 30 minutes per day, etc., blah, 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 you have the forgiveness uh, as if you went to confession. So if you die, you will still go to heaven if you have followed all the instructions. And my point from last week still stands. Francis and the Catholic Church has nothing to offer right now. You can't get your holy crackers. You cannot go to confession. You cannot even meet with your priest because the churches are closed. If you die without seeing a priest, Francis has had to admit that you can fix that yourself. With the do-it-yourself solution and without saying it out loud, he has basically declared that the church is useless. You don't need it. So what can Francis do? 
What, what he's doing is going back in time, and he's dug out the very oldest medieval tools he can find, literally from the Dark Ages. There are two ancient artifacts that used to be the final defense against the Black Plague and other epidemics uh, way back when. The oldest of those artifacts is a painting from the 6th century. Uh, that, that's quite a long time ago. It is a picture of the Madonna and the Christ child, and it's called Salus Populi Romani, or Health of the Roman People. It is said that Pope Gregory I, in the year 593, had this painting carried around Rome during Easter time to end the plague of that time. So Francis did what he could. He didn't carry it around town, but he paid a visit to it last week after this speech of his, and he prayed before it. He also did the same in front of a wooden so-called miraculous crucifix from the 15th century that sits in St. Marcellus Church. And that is what he can do now. He can pray and hope that it all blows over. And somewhere, I think he must have a suspicion that it won't help at all. So, well, come on. I mean, <laughs> what, well, what do you uh, base this statement on? I I was just about to phone up the WHO. <laughs> hey, guys, like, don't bother with what, don't bother working on a vaccine. We've got an old painting and a yeah, crucifix. Then, you know, praying fine. has been done for a long time and it's never been shown to work. So basically, I say it's the, the emperor's new clothes. Uh, Francis has nothing to offer in the world now uh, of crisis. And I feel like the little child watching the parade saying that he has no clothes on. And as I said, I almost feel a little bit sorry for yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Good news for everyone else, though. You can sit at home with some wafers and red wine and, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, I'm, don't need I'm to go to church for the wine. I don't care for that, for yeah. much for the wafers. but Well, you know, you they, know make, what? They, they make you thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> One of them has a beautiful circle of white. Yeah, if they dry enough, yeah, they yeah, definitely yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, but I've been thinking since last week that you you talked about this, Pontus, that um, who decides, unless, of course, it's obvious that they, they died because of the coronavirus, hmm. who decides uh, who gets to be forgiven all their sins? Because, for example, in my country, the health secretary sent out a letter to all the, the health institutions in the country uh, where they determine the cause of death to not include in the statistics those people who had prior uh, health problems, any other kind of conditions other than uh, COVID-19. Mm. So if someone was infected by COVID-19 but had other previous ailments... Yeah, what did they die from? Then they would not go down in the statistics as victims of COVID-19. So, in the eyes of the church and in the eyes of God, what are they going to go down as? Yeah, I don't know. But but I I think so, God makes his own assessment, right? I don't think he listens to the Hungarian authorities. Well, it's not what the Hungarian authorities think, I, the, I can assure you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later. Mm -hmm. oh. Okay. Oof, call um, forward. Okay. So thank you very much, Pontus, for porking the Pope once again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time for us to move on to the news. And you might have noticed that uh, we recently picked up the habit of uh, starting with an update on the COVID-19 situation. But 
due to the rapid acceleration of the the spread of the disease as of late, we're not going into the details of how many cases and deaths have occurred to date, but instead, what new angles of dealing with it are, or what take-home messages can we identify that we that can help us in the future? So, what's happened since the last episode? First of all, on the 24th of March, the International Olympic Committee announced that the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games would be rescheduled to a later date. Mm. That is, after 2020, but not later than 2021, and it will still be called Tokyo 2020. Yeah. So uh, that is one thing that has happened. And what interests me the most uh, about the recent developments is that new analyses are popping up every day regarding current trends and what lies behind those trends. One of these, published by LifeScience.com, uh, deals with uh, Germany and the question of how the death rate in the country can be so low compared to other countries. It seems to be around 0.5% of the known cases in the whole of the country, which is far lower than that of France, let alone Italy. Almost sounds like they're disappointed. Do they want it to be higher, or what's uh, the angle no, here? No, no, it's it's just. <laughs> I think it's a, uh, an appropriate question to ask, and yeah. I think it's 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 completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. They are not obviously they are not disappointed with the numbers, but it's very obvious that it's far lower than than some other countries produce. One of those examples is France, where the the, the death rates are about 4.3% and 9.5% is the the current death rate in Italy. It's about 20 times higher. So it's a huge, a massive difference. So they tried to analyze as many sources as they could and concluded that it must be a set of different factors at play here. Uh, The most important of which is large-scale screening right from the beginning that the country conducted. Before it started to escalate, they had already tried mapping the contacts of everyone who tested positive, this keeping it at bay for a long time. And another thing to consider is the relatively low median age of 47 of the people infected, which, of course, puts most of them out of the elevated risk age group, right? So in in contrast to all that, Italy started screening a bit late and did tests only on those who already uh, showed symptoms. This, of course, suggests that more people must have been in contact with the virus than the system registered, right? Mm. Plus, with all the active social life of even the elderly in Italy, (laughs) not so surprisingly, the median age for confirmed cases is much higher. It's at 63 years of age right now. Wow. And there is a massive difference, a 16 years difference in the in the median age, which is it's it's not a representation of the country's uh, age range. And experts seem to agree that Germany might be able to keep up with this low death rate as they still focus on early detection. The local.com reports that Germany conducts an estimated 500,000 tests per week right now, which is insane. Wow. Some countries have different ways to handle the disease. Uh, Some claim they test a lot, but it's not really happening, like in the UK, right? Yep. Boris is claiming something, but the the reality might be much lower than that. Well, they tested him, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we managed to break (laughs) our testing rules for Prince Charles and for Boris. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. In Hungarian, the word corona 
in in many other languages as well, it's the same as uh, crown, mm. right? Yeah. So I just came across uh, this joke that uh, Prince Charles have been waiting 70 years to get the crown. But this was not what he had in mind. <laughs> nice. I, I think the important Snap. thing about Prince Charles is, is he going to take homeopathy to help with his COVID? I'm sure he is. Yes, he will do that. That's good. I mean, if that is the case, then the crown goes straight to Prince William, I think. Yeah. I mean, if he wants to free up a hospital <laughs> bed for someone else, then that's fine by me. Yeah, I don't want... So I wish him all the best. I, I wish him a mild thing to go through and a very quick, uh, speedy requ- recovery. Absolutely. But yeah. Um, Hungary reports a mere 12,000 tests conducted for the whole duration of the epi- ed- epidemic so far. And so this is this is quite a difference. And Pontus, I think, will tell us more about how Sweden approaches the situation later. Oh, yes. But all this shows how little the European Union as a community is equipped to deal with uh, the pandemic. And uh, this is why the Italian government sent a letter to the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, uh, calling for a joint effort in tackling the disease and its devastating effects on the economy of the whole of the EU. The letter was signed by eight other European leaders. But this really highlights the gravity of the problem, and several health officials and experts have been talking about this issue. Currently, there is no way to mandate all member states to adhere to a common action plan. Let it be testing, uh, isolation, uh, how to try to d- deal with the uh, economic uh, downfall uh, as a result of this. So the need for such a plan seems absolutely obvious, both on the front of fighting the disease and preparations to get things back on track without leaving anyone behind. Even the WHO expressed their concern with the current situation in Europe. But unity seems to be far from what we have right now. As we've seen, there are as many different ways of dealing with this as can be, but when leadership of some countries seems to be jumping on the opportunity to tighten their grip on their political system, Hungary and the Czech Republic comes to mind, I'm afraid there isn't much hope for closer collaboration at this time. So what One you're thing- saying, Andras, yeah. is that even though we've got a whole bundle of countries as part of the European Union, they still have some autonomy to be able to make their own decisions. Wow. <laughs> yes, apparently That'll be so. news to a lot of people in my country. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, in some cases, that autonomy is not well-deserved and it shouldn't be maintained because that will lead to an outright dictatorship. If Orban gets his way uh, in my country, then we're going to turn out a fucking dictatorship. He has applied and basically wanted a full and unrestricted powers indefinitely for himself yeah. wow so so that, uh, that, that he wants to be trusted with that decision of when to give back the power to the parliament after such a period yeah. so he's just proved that the uk didn't have to leave the eu to become an authoritarian country so yeah that's right that's okay, right it's a, i i don't think we need any more proof than that so- yeah I mean, since since uh, since we're not going to get any Olympics this summer, we could have the COVID Olympics instead. And it seems like <laughs> seems like Germany might be heading for the gold medal at the moment, and maybe Hungary or the UK are vying for the wooden spoon, right? <laughs> if oh, yeah. we weren't toying yeah, yeah, yeah. with human lives, that might have been funny. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, I th- no. <laughs> I think it's important that, that that we can make jokes out of the situation, especially because we are getting absolutely tired of it. And uh, one thing that doesn't help either uh, in in this whole situation is exactly that something that Matthew Flinders from the Sir Bernard Crick Center for the Public Understanding of Politics at the University of Sheffield called crisis fatigue in his article published under conversation. In his own words, crisis fatigue is quote the tiredness that comes as a result of the constant fear associated with repeated warnings about crisis, disaster, or catastrophe, end of quote. And since we've had quite a lot of things that politicians and or activists wanted all of us to worry about, from immigration in the last couple of years, to climate change, see Greta Thunberg for reference, and disease uh, like this one, it's no surprise people seem to find it more and more difficult to adhere to new regulations, especially when they come at such a great price. We just need to keep afloat and do this mm. together. Mm. Wise words. Yeah. And and then maybe Sweden can be some sort of an example. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much you've heard about it, but there's a lot of talk about the Swedish approach to the pandemic, which is much less strict than the in the rest of Europe. Mm-hmm. And as the Swedish guy here, I thought I'd bring it up because it's pretty interesting. So the rules prescribed by the Swedish government are much less politically driven than driven by health authorities and and experts. Basically, the politicians base their decisions on experts much more than in other countries. In other countries, as you said, Andras, they appear to do so to take decisions to win political points rather than to... uh, to uh, help the crisis. In in Sweden, there's also much more consensus and the opposition publicly say that they support the government actions. Well, in, in broad terms, of course, lately they've been calling for more tests and stuff, but it, it's a minor disagreement, right? Mm-hmm. So l- let me just say what the Swedish government has done, because it's compared to other countries, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> the Swedish government has issued rules about a a few things. There's a maximum 50 people gathering rule, which is much more people than I think in any other uh, European country. Uh, Non-essential trips to Sweden are prohibited, but the borders are not strictly closed. The schools are still open, except for higher secondary schools and universities, which have switched over to online teaching. Mm -hmm. The regions in charge of healthcare are now coordinated in more detail by the National Board of Health and Welfare than before, but it's not a big change. Uh, uh, The government has issued a couple of financial stimulus packages to help companies. They have less strict rules when it comes to obtaining your unemployment money and study support money, whatever you call that in English, I'm not sure. Restaurants are still open. But you can eat or drink only at the tables. No hanging at the bar. That's a weirdly specific rule. (laughs) And similarly, the skiing facilities up north are still open, but the -the off-the-ski establishments are closed. And that's that's basically all the mandatory rules that the Swedish government have put in place. Not, Not too much, I think. That's not much, yeah. No. Uh, So, but lots of things are still closed, like theaters and cinemas, etc. But... That is on the initiative of the establishments, not because of 
government regulations. Most gyms, for instance, are still open. Or they, they do supply you with uh, hand sanitizers and have implemented certain procedures, but that's local initiatives. What the government has done a lot in, in Sweden is to issue recommendations. Of course, there's a lot about how to act, wash your hands, keep your distance, don't hoard things unnecessarily, etc. People over 70 have been asked, rather politely, to, to self-isolate, but it's not a rule. You should avoid travel to major cities, which is pretty easy, basically, because we don't have any major cities in Sweden. <laughs> or they are so far spread out that you would not do that anyway. The only real city we have is Stockholm. It's about it's a, Stockholm. Million, yeah, yeah. a million people, but uh, all the others are very small. Okay. Uh, and you're supposed to stay in your local municipality. Don't move to your country house because healthcare is not dimensioned for everyone to stay out in the countryside the local the other parts of the city, of the country is not uh, dimensioned for that so that's everything really and and the big question is is it working so that's of course a million dollar question and um, at the time of the recording we have about 4000 cases but until last week only seriously ill people were tested so the actual number of of cases is really unknown. Now they have started to do random sample testing to better assess the total number of infected people. Uh, We have had and have 255 people who have received intensive care, either they're still there or they have had it. There's been 110 deaths. Uh, Lately it's been around 10 new deaths per per day Uh, and it's been quite stable over the last four days or so so it's not growing exponentially uh, yet at least so it seems under control even though we don't have uh, very strict restrictions and of course the question is why is it sort of working if that's what it is i have some speculations and i've also heard other people speculate about this and we will see when this whole thing is over but first and foremost swedish people have a big trust in authorities We do as we're told, and uh, to some extent we also police others. And the reason for this is, I have a long list of speculations about that. I won't go down that rabbit trail, but one thing is that we have had a long line of stable governments and we haven't had any war for 200 years. People rely on the government, even the First and Second World War, we managed to stay out of somehow. Another thing is that Sweden has very low population density. There's only one real big city, as I said, and that's Stockholm. And that means that it's not as easy for the the epidemic to to spread. There's also a lifestyle issue. More than half of Swedish households are just one person. So that that makes it much more easy to, to isolate or to avoid spreading the disease. Then we also have social security. People don't break the rules because there are financial safety nets. You still collect your unemployment money. Healthcare is more or less free and for the most part very good. So you don't panic when these things happen. So that means you can also comply with the rules or the recommendations. And then, of course, people are very computer literate. I think that's a lot of the case in in, in a lot of Europe. Uh, People switching to working from home isn't too big a deal. Uh, But we don't know how this will end. Uh, It seems to be working for now. 
But the time will tell uh, if the Swedish model works out. Uh, and I don't think somehow that the Swedish approach would work in too many other countries. No, as, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about, of course, Italy, hmm. which is the cardinally yeah. different country, yeah. culturally, uh, politically, politically. And this... Yeah, people work. tend to hang out in large numbers every night. Ninety-nine percent of and it's yeah. it's just this is why it's so tough on them. Uh, they have to change com- their their lifestyles completely. Hmm. But what I really find it very interesting. I mean, it, it, it's a bit hazardous of a game hmm. that the the uh, the Swedish authorities play because obviously we don't know much, but we've established that the best thing that we can do and the most reliable thing that we can do is trying to avoid being infected Mm. right Mm. and that seems to be the only thing that definitely works and i saw that the the swedish health authorities uh released uh simulations the data based on simulations that they made uh based on what they so they know so far as to what to expect and um how much restrained the healthcare system will experience and uh, how much do they need to boost it but those are all speculations yeah so that's the thing that worries me the most that basing your healthcare system on speculations it's a bit far-fetched i think but uh i i hope it works out well in the end well, well what else what else is there because we don't know we don't know but the thing is that the swedish government doesn't have a big history of lying so when they say something people listen and think okay that must be right and that's more or less unique yeah but that means that it's even more hazardous because imagine if they turn out to be wrong about this yeah that will that will mean that they can lose the the trust of the public in the long run yeah, result. but yeah, but it's not. That's not how it works because it, okay. the, the Swedish government or authorities are not afraid to to change their mind. So if they say, ah, okay. well, the and other day they say, we okay, wrong. we were wrong. Now this is okay. right, and people still, and that is actually more. Uh, you trust that because then okay. they, they do what they can, and they are they are honest. And when they made a mistake, they say, okay, we were wrong. You should do this instead. People go for that. They don't try to cover up too much. Yeah. I just, the, there's a huge opportunity here, though, for for like a charlatan to to sort of uh, you know lie to the public and say that you know Swedish meatballs uh, good for your immune system. Uh, having sauna, oh, having a sauna <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kills the kills the coronavirus. Uh, there you go. Yeah, there could be a yeah. there could be a yeah. lot of money to be made, or something about the air conditioning system in Volvo's. You know, really good for kind oh, of five G or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, right. I like the idea that uh, your government treats the public as adults. Apparently, oh, what a novel idea. Yeah, is it? So no, no. I mean, it is in a way. Yeah, and it's it, it seems to be like a mutual thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm just hoping that it works out well in the long run. Yeah, don't we all? So, what's going on in the in the UK, Brian? Okay, so well, I tell you what, guys, I don't keep up with the royal family very much. So, could you guys maybe let me know how's Princess Diana doing these days? How's Princess Di? <laughs> Is she okay? 
Well, keeping well. Uh, Apart from the fact that she's dead, the, well, well, we should we should ask a Rupert Sheldrake, uh, probably, yeah. if the morphic resonance holds any information on her. Oh, okay. I'm sure. Uh, th- it's interesting to hear that she's dead because there's there's an article in Hello Magazine that talks about Debbie Frank, uh, and Debbie Frank apparently is a renowned astrologer. Mm. Uh, who's worked with mm-hmm. uh, not only with some of the biggest stars in showbiz, but also Princess Diana. Lately, uh, well, uh, apparently not, <laughs> unless she's been doing it from beyond the grave. But like, if you were yeah. a, an astrologer and one of your key clients had died, um, you know, well before her time, would you would you go public about being 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 her astrologer? It seems like it's not much to <laughs> Why, brag about. Do we about, know what you, you know? told her? Yeah, well, unless she said, hey, you, you know, put your seatbelt on or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I predict that Uranus is going to be bouncing through the front of a car seat some point in the near future. Maybe she should do that. But uh-huh. so, so Debbie Frank coincidentally actually <laughs> writes for Hello. Um, so not surprised that there's an item here. Um, and it says Debbie recently opened up to Hello about the current coronavirus pandemic, uh, suggesting that it may have been written in the stars. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the astrologer also suggests that we may have some reprieve at the end of June. So good. You know, I mean, presumably, again, we can phone up the WHO and the ECDC and let them know that their services are no longer required. Pope Frank, he's, uh, <laughs> he's got the cure. And it looks like Debbie's kind of giving us good news about coronavirus being on the way out. So apparently, and keep up with this one, guys, right? So um, Jupiter and Pluto are going to join on the 5th of April, which is a symbol of renaissance and repair, which repeats three more times before the year is out. But Venus, planet of human relationship, is retrograde between the 12th of May and the 23rd of June, slowing our uh, connections. So after that, perhaps, Debbie says, we get a retrieve. Okay, are you following so far? Yeah, but she doesn't doesn't sound very uh, confident. No. Well, again... (laughs) May may and perhaps... If if I had been Princess Diana's astrologer, I wouldn't be very confident either. Um, Okay, but (laughs) let's get to the end. The nodes move to Gemini and Sagittarius in May. Um, The signs that keep us moving, travelling, learning and commuting. These areas are likely to be going through um, end of one era and beginning of another scenario. So, um, good news there. Writing on Wednesday in Hello, Debbie touched upon um, an important January configuration that coincided with the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, uh, saying, interestingly, the Saturn and Capricorn signature that dominated the heavens then was at the centre of the great Saturn, Pluto, Mercury, Ceres conjunction in Capricorn on the 12th of January 2020. Many years in advance, it was possible to look at this upcoming configuration and ponder on its powerful impact on the world. So, so did she? So, so Debbie here is saying that, <laughs> you know, it was written in the stars um, that we could tell about the coronavirus coming on 12th of January 2020. Now, 
my fellow presenters. Can anyone tell me when the coronavirus actually um, was first discovered? December, right? November, I think. Yeah. I mean, like the clues in the name, COVID-19. The 19 part is 2019, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Debbie appears to be at least a couple of months out of date here. (laughs) <laughs> Almost as if astrology is a load of bollocks. Which is not a big deal for an astrologer. Yeah. I'm sure it doesn't bother her. No. I'm sure it so, doesn't so bother go, her one bit, right? So, that stars and the constellations don't move that much within a couple of months. Come on. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so, so saying now, like two months after the fact, that we could have predicted it in advance, but we didn't. What help? What help is that? Yeah. And even then, it's not the the timeline doesn't work out well. Exactly. I'm not convinced. Let me put it that way. Maybe uh, maybe it was a couple of months after Princess Diana's accident that she predicted that was going to happen. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure how this astrology business works. But you know, uh, as as always, folks, um, whenever there's a crisis. Um, there is, uh, you know, uh, a charlatan, a pseudoscientist, um, desperate to um, throw their name into the hat, have an opinion, try and make some money, and it's, you know, frequently backed up by the media, or in this case, a magazine such as Hello. Um, for those of you that don't know Hello magazine, it's a sort of let's let's call it respectable paparazzi. Um, they they actually <laughs> they actually sort of pay money to take pic- official pictures at your wedding instead of you know hiding in trees a mile away with a zoom lens um so you know they're uh, I, I guess meant to be vaguely um celebrity friendly uh, i guess in that respect but clearly they're willing to um sink to the depths of astrology and other such nonsense in order to try and push their name forward yeah and then if you have someone wants to go out and see something that uh, astrologers talk about a lot but they probably don't know where to find, then go outside after sundown, a couple of hours after sundown, like two hours after sundown, go outside and look at the sky. What you'll find is a very bright object, and that will be Venus, Hmm. the planet. And next to it, for a couple of days, you'll find the moon as well. They are in conjunction, which is a word often used by astrologers. But uh, when you look look up the sky, it actually does mean something unlike uh, when it's uh, on paper for astrologers. Never mind. <laughs> well done on the Hello magazine. But I, I, I kind of have a feeling that a Hello magazine is not usually the one everyone's go-to magazine for accurate and reliable information, right? I don't think so. so. Never mind. Let's go a couple steps back. When we were talking about how, how we can cure coronavirus and what can Prince Charles take. So apparently homeopaths came up with a, a cure Wow. Surprise, surprise. So just FYI, before I go into this article uh, that was brought to our attention by our friends at GWP, the German skeptics, I want to say there is no cure for coronavirus. There's no medication you can take to make anything better yet. Uh, There's no vaccination. So... Small correction. Sorry, I think antiviral agents are being used constantly. Uh, so, but but they are it's in a combination of sorts. But uh, but no specific cure for the disease. That's true. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or or there is nothing you can take to make yourself immune to it either. Yeah, that's right. So um, so this particular case that I'm talking about uh, comes from a Brandenburg Consumer Advice Center. So apparently a consumer reported um, a case, a complaint that um, a local, um, that the homeopathic um, 
the homeopathy company who distributes homeopathy got hold of the email and distributed um, and promoted homeopathic globalists. Global, globals? Globules? Globules. Globally. The, Globally. Uh, Globally. They're little pills, yeah. That are said to protect uh, against corona infection. And the advertisement states that th- these uh, pills convey the message of corona disease to the organism in a highly p- potentized form. So that is develop. So then, then the the um, the body develops antibodies against the disease, and um, of course the the Brandenburg Consumer Advice Center has come out uh, straight away and publicized it and said there are currently no medications. This uh, homeopathic remedy doesn't work, and uh, advised people to look out for uh, fake uh, medic medications on online. Um, so. If it looks like it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and they've also um, uh, kind of s- highlighted again the fact that dietary su- supplements don't help either. So it doesn't matter how many supplements you take, it's not going to stop you from getting coronavirus. Yeah. Until we get vaccinations, people, nothing will help. Mm. Yeah, sugar pills. They don't help in anything. I want to know how they communicate to the body, to the organism that the to to start start producing immune immune <laughs> response to <laughs> actually what we could do is you have to ask someone to spit in a tube or or in a, a petri dish or something uh, who definitely is infected then you start diluting that so whatever the covid nineteen does uh, that do diluted potentiated thing will will counter that so. This is uh-huh. this uh-huh. is basically um, very similar to vaccination. Actually, it just don't uh, try this at home, people. Don't take medical advice from a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to shake it and uh, and hit it with a book. I thought it. I thought well, well, wait a minute though. For homeopathy, it's meant to be something that 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 creates the same symptoms so um you know something that causes a temperature and and a cough so i don't know um flamethrower no 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 and no what uh what something causes when you actually uh take that one you consume that it will have such a, a certain effect and in the diluted homeopathic form it will be used to deal with exactly that so it doesn't it doesn't do the same thing. So uh, if something causes you to sneeze, if you sneeze, you have to use that in the diluted form. So that's how homeopathy works. So like <laughs> cures like. That's that's a, the basis of it. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes, doesn't make sense. Now that you explained it, it makes total sense. <laughs> All right, moving on. I think it's time to talk about something that has not much to do with uh, coronavirus, right? Thanks, uh, At least not directly. Our good friend and well-known Italian skeptic, Massimo Polidoro, seems to have been quite busy lately educating his country's audiences. Uh, less than two years ago, he started publishing uh, explanatory videos investigating paranormal claims, stranger stories, and all that. The popularity of his uh, channel started to climb rapidly, and it's Still very well watched. He even has a couple of uh, English-speaking videos up, so don't do make sure you you check them out. 
This time, he launched a series of educational videos meant specifically for younger people, uh, dedicated to explaining how science works, what the scientific method entails, how we can use science to learn a lot about uh, the world and why we have to be critical thinkers in order for science to work properly, etc. The title of the series of videos with new episodes released on a daily basis is OK Shensa. And I don't think this requires much of a translation. Okay, but, science? Huh? Yes, yes, that's that's what it means. But this doesn't mean he has stopped producing videos for his other series. So rest assured, if you understand Italian, you'll have plenty of material to watch thanks to the one and only Massimo Polidoro. Who clearly doesn't sleep or has a clone or something, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Well, I'm surprised he hasn't written a book in the last couple of the weeks. Huh? His output is insane. Oh, I'm pretty sure that he is working on that too. So I, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised sure if he, he came out with a book in two or three months from now. Yeah. Oh, I thought you uh, meant a clone. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. They mm-hmm. they must be syncing um, whenever whenever they meet. Yeah, and. Definitely. All right. Okay. So um, going back a couple of years now, three years, actually, some of you may remember um, friend of the show, um, Brett Hermes, uh, being sued by a naturopath who took exception to one of her blog posts. Now, that lawsuit could have forced Brit into silence, which would have been a bad outcome for Brit herself, uh, and but, but for scepticism in general. So there was a fantastic reaction at the time from the sceptical community, um, marshaled by uh, the awesome folks down under uh, at the Australian Skeptics. We organised a fundraising campaign that was successful in covering Brit's legal expenses. The campaign conditions were uh, that leftover funds would be donated to another cause, such as a sceptical legal defence fund, uh, which is kind of what they're trying to organise now. So this is a call, dear listeners, for volunteers. So many sceptics believe that a legal defence fund is increasingly necessary. Um, So in order to kick off the process of starting such a fund, there was a discussion between Steve Novella, um, Simon Singh, who knows a fair amount about lawsuits, um, Brett Hermes (laughs) and uh, and Iran Seguet from the Australian Sceptics. You know, and you know they—they've all had their uh, their issues with uh, with with legal problems. Yeah. Um, but there's still gaps to be filled, and you know they can't do it alone. So they're looking for volunteers that have the relevant skills um, to the operations of an international not-for-profit. In particular, legal practitioners from various jurisdictions are needed, especially uh, if they are experienced in anything such as defamation law, freedom of speech speech, commercial law, administrative law, but it could be people who are maybe uh, with uh, some fundraising experience or even marketing and social media experience. So, you know, dear listeners, if you've got any of those skills and you want to get involved, can I please urge you all to go to skepticslegaldefense.org. I'm sure that's going to be in the show notes, but let me just repeat it again, skepticslegaldefense.org. Yeah. So um, it's nice to know as sceptics that we may, and I stress may, have a little bit of a safety net, uh, you know, in case, um, you know, we 
validly call out um, a crank uh, and they come after us. There's quite a few uh, folks out there who are notoriously litigious um, and obviously we have to um, tread very carefully with with what we say, um, but you know sometimes even if even if you have phrased yourself or written your blog post um, uh, immaculately, um, they may still come after you. Yeah. So yeah, we 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 certainly don't want to encourage any irresponsible behaviour from sceptics. Uh, so please be very, very careful. You know. So let let's see. Just as an example, I'm using this in the as an example. It would not be a good idea to come out and say, Psychic Sally is a fraud. If you say that, the burden of proof is on you to back that up, okay? What you might want to say instead is, I've been to see Psychic Sally and I can't differentiate her performance from cold reading tricks that I've seen online. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Or you could say, I have seen people writing anonymous people writing on social media that Psychic Sally is a fraud. That's you reporting what other people are saying. But even then, you're on, you're on, you could be on sketchy ground, depending on how you report it. Yeah. So please, dear skeptics, um, try not to get sued. But if you do get sued, maybe there's going to be a little bit of a safety net for you. But please, you know, if you've got any of those skills, um, step up uh, and do what you can to help. You know, we're, we're calling out across the world here. Uh, and I'm sure there's more than a few listeners of, of this show or any other skeptic sh- uh, podcasts um, that might at least be able to chip in a little bit of skills and, and knowledge. Yeah. And I, I would say or uh, regarding your very uh, good tips there. Even if you do follow the rules, uh, people can sue you just to make you shut up. Even if you have followed all the rules and you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's or whatever you say, uh, you may be sued and it may be very unpleasant and costly. So we do need uh, an organization like this to to look out for skeptics who are, well, calling out people who should be called out and who may try to shut, shut you up, up. Yeah. I the, the term for that is a slap lawsuit, S-L-A-P-P, mm-hmm. strategic yeah. lawsuit against public participation. In other words, it's purely intended to shut you up. Um, so, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it, the Skeptics Guide uh, folks in particular um, relatively recently won their battle and were able to um, get a positive judgment that, um, the lawsuit against them was an attempted slap uh, and it got smacked down big time. Um, but that yeah. cost them a lot of money. Um, I think yeah. I think they, they recouped a fair amount of their legal costs, but not all. But think of but the... Not all of it. Yeah. Think of the time and the stress as well, you know? Exactly. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah, it, it went on for years as it, well. It, yeah, and, and, and that was a super strong case that they had as well. Hmm. So, um, you know, e- e- even with some support from the, the Skeptics community, Community. Um, if you do ever get yourself into a lawsuit, don't um, don't kid yourself on into thinking it's going to be easy uh, easily mm. won. And uh, what stands out for me as well in this uh, situation, the the whole case that uh, Brit Marie Hermes went through, she's an American, former naturopath, uh, that got sued in Germany where she lived uh, back then. I think she still lives in in Germany, and the Australian skeptics started a fundraiser for for helping her 
that's such a great international yeah, scope of the whole thing. And if someone wants to know more about uh, Brit uh, Hermes's background or the initiation of this uh, situation with a uh, lawsuit, you can find out more on uh, two of our episodes, actually. On episode 50, we had our first interview with her. And on episode 108, we interviewed her and Eron Segev uh, from the Australian Skeptics. And they talked about the fundraiser uh, itself that ended up having excess amounts of money that can be used to to fund this uh, international collaboration. Uh, So great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling that we have to talk a little bit about COVID-19 again, right? (laughs) Still? (laughs) What? (laughs) Long long time no talk, right? Yeah, you may have heard that some people, famously, including two current presidents, that's President Trump and President Bolsonaro, they are advocating using chloroquine. Chloroquine? Chloroquine. I don't know how to pronounce that chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine as a treatment against COVID-19. Do not take medical advice from a president. Do not take medical advice from social media. And actually, don't take any from us either. You shouldn't even take such advice from a medical doctor if everybody else says it's unproven. There is a French doctor called Didier Raoul who has jumped uncritically on the chloroquine bandwagon. Uh, And the reason is that there is a French observational study that claims some possible, maybe possible, uh, positive indication uh, for using this. But there are also other studies which show no results, uh, or even the opposite results. And the truth is, we don't know yet if that works or not. And the biggest problem with this Didier Raoul is that he happens to be a well-known and renowned virologist. So of course people are listening to him and are now lining up outside his clinic. But the French skeptics, the organization AFIS, A-F-I-S, has written a good statement about why it's uh, way too early to think chloroquine will do any good and why you should definitely not try to use it before more testing has been done. Uh, chloroquine is a drug which is approved against certain types of malaria, uh, but it still has side effects and it can possibly be dangerous if applied incorrectly. And as the Afis argue, it's very far from known if it helps or not. So don't fall for wishful thinking. One of the other problems is that we see a shortage of chloroquine now for people who actually need it because people are, other people are hoarding it and trying to use it for something that it's not intended for. Uh, and the French authorities, by the way, has not approved this usage, but that doesn't stop people from running amok and even, as we can see, mm-hmm. some medical doctors. Good advice. We do actually have uh, our first death due to that as well. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, a, a man died and his wife is is in critical care. Uh, they both um, ingested chloroquine phosphate, um, which is not the actual medication uh, itself. Uh, it is an additive, apparently, which is commonly used to help clean fish tanks. But the <laughs> um, oh boy, the, the people reminder: you are not a fish tank. Yeah, 
Yeah. I knew it sounded familiar. Fishy, even. <laughs> there you go. So they, they were attempting to self-medicate and, and which is, you know, it's tragic, right? And and, yes. and it, it, it shows what happens when somebody who should know better flaps their gums in public about something they know nothing of. And so they, these people, they weren't even symptomatic. This was this was them trying to take they some... They weren't even sick. They, yeah, they, they were trying to take some preventative medicine here and, and it's oh. ended in, in tragedy. Yeah. Um, you know, so... <laughs> well, at least one of them will not die of COVID-19 now. That's for sure. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah. But d- again, like we were talking about it earlier on, does that go down as a COVID death? It's... it's <laughs> Should be, in it's, my opinion. It's tangential. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, epidemiologists are going to have a lot of uh, a lot of work to do in, in the future, like teasing out the number of deaths caused directly by COVID-19 and the number of... Um, indirect deaths caused by COVID-19. You know, obviously there's going to be a lot of, you know, economic problems after this and, you know, the, the poverty, poverty, you know, eventually results in, um, you know, reduced life uh, expectancy. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely going to have an effect. This is just a, a bit more instant and, um, you know, easily avoidable, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you do want to have uh, access to very good quality information about COVID-19, you should be following several uh, good websites, and I'll talk about it in a second. So the um, uh, website fullfact.org published um, an article where they're suggesting how to deal with the misinformation in the era of COVID-19. Um, as well as um, uh, quite a few good suggestions um, what to look uh, look out for. So uh, the main uh, sources, so the, the main uh, kind of um, things to look out for when you look for, uh, at the article or um, an information source, of course, who the source is coming from. If it's like a friend's uncle or um, s- some doctor, but like with a kind of questionable name um so just look into the who that person is who's posting the source the trusted sources um sorry the anonymous sources are also uh, are the ones that we should be questioning um because uh, they're harder to check um of course trusted sources are, are sa- safe option uh so uh big organizations health organizations and authorities etc Verifying the source. So if you see an article um, and you uh, try to Google it and see if, if anybody else reported on that is, uh, same thing uh, as well. So that kind of um, kind of helps to, to establish that this is a fact. And then generally, just uh, they've got really good suggestions. Uh, in fact, I've just done it myself. Uh, you can sign up for uh, email updates. Uh, there, is, there is a John Hopkins University in America that does um, COVID-19 uh, email updates. Of course, the usual websites, C- CDC is the good uh, source of information, NHS websites in um, England. Uh, the World Health Organization website uh, will have a good uh, FAQ page. With some reservation, call forward. <laughs> I will come to that later on. <laughs> okay. And um, and of course, um, the fact-checking organizations like fullfact.org um, also do their job trying to fact-check some of the stuff that comes out. Um, the International Fact-Checking Network has created a database of fact-checks on the new coronavirus. 
so you know if i think a lot of the misinformation will repeat itself now and uh, now that they started compiling database it's easy to go there and pull up a claim and see if it's if it's true or not so we'll we'll link the um article in in the show notes uh, it's a great sort of uh, source f- for for anyone who wants to clarify the position and Yelena, where should we go if we want to know the best place to um, get our fish tank cleaned? <laughs> <laughs> the UK, first of all. <laughs> uh, go to www.shelldrake.org. There you go. Perfect. All right. We are. But hey, uh, look, I mean, call to, another call to action from all skeptics here, right? The, the, the amount of misinformation on social media is crippling at the moment okay so and a lot of it might be coming from your well-meaning auntie or uncle or mother-in-law um in my case um please challenge it politely where where appropriate um ask people to take things down um fact check them put in the snopes link you know try to make sure put put up a post yourself um to to try and clarify things if you're not getting people to take their post down i think now now more than ever you can you can use your your skeptic powers for good okay and uh and none too soon uh it's a good thing you mentioned sources reliable sources yelena since this pandemic started, we've seen various ways of trying to keep the, the spreading of misinformation at bay, the above-mentioned misinformation. Some of these have been the effort of governments, uh, others led by NGOs and charitable organizations, etc. In Hungary, the latest initiative comes from the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Mm. Uh, this is particularly important because since this um, organization of the highest prestige in the country in the field of science was successfully gutted by Viktor Orban's government last year, they've been struggling to get their shit together in a way. So this might be the why they didn't come up with their own material, but decided to translate material from the WHO's website that is called Mythbusters. It's quite a good website. It's, it, it's a good compilation of uh, the, the different uh, pieces of misinformation spreading very fast out there. And uh, the, the, it covers the most important basic points. But what's important is that it's now available in Hungarian for Hungarian readers because uh, a lot of Hungarian people are not comfortable reading in English. Uh, even if they know some level of English, they, they, they don't like reading in English. And... I've been banging on the table about this for a long, long time. That what we need is a lot of English material that local people in different countries can translate into their own language and make it available to their people. And we now we see it uh, with the World Health Organization's uh, myth-busting website, but it can be done with many, many different other materials. If we think about how many organizations out there uh, are out there that, that do a, a great amount of work into debunking stuff or educating the public, and they provide English-speaking English material that can be translated. Uh, think about the Good Thinking Society. Think about the sen- sense about science. Uh, think about GVP, where uh, they they provide a lot of English material for uh, the Homeopathy Information Network as well. So we don't need to make stuff up for ourselves. We don't need to write up everything from scratch. If there is good material that can be translated, then we should do it. Do it the right way. Contact the providers of the original material 
and then do the translation, but it can be done. Yeah. So I'm I'm very much of a fan of translated stuff. So well done. The Hungarian Academy of Sciences did it on their own website, tudomain.hu, which uh, translates to science. Oh, nice moves. Yeah. Good. And that, I think, concludes our news segment. So we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. And we might get a surprise for ourselves. Hmm. <laughs> ha ha. Yeah, well, uh, yes, we, we, we might. <laughs> I know we're the European Skeptics Podcast, but just like the COVID-19 pandemic, today's really wrong starts in China. And it starts with the TCM, so-called traditional Chinese medicine. Ooh. So short, Big fan. His, short historical background here. What is it? Uh, and, and this is a bit simplistic, I know. But um, although a lot of traditional herbs and stuff were used in China for a long time, they were on their way out, really, to be replaced with science-based medicine during the first half of the 1900s. But with the revolution, uh, Mao Zedong and the new leaders of communist China had to rebuild the country that was basically destroyed by the war. Uh, one problem that they had was the lack of doctors and medicine, especially uh, in the countryside. As a way to deal with this, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, was encouraged. And that's how the so-called Barefoot Doctors program was born, with the rudimentary healthcare workers focusing a lot on herbal remedies, acupuncture and stuff like that. TCM has over the years become the source of uh, pride and nationalism for, uh, in China, and uh, Chinese authorities have for a long time tried to promote it also abroad. Worldwide, TCM has been estimated to be a business worth over $400 billion. We also saw a couple of years ago that the WHO uh, incorporated a whole chapter about TCM in its official classification of diseases and health, the so-called ICD. Uh, and this was, uh, not incidentally, after having a Chinese director general for over 10 years. <laughs> which leads us to the WHO, which of you have mentioned a couple of times already in the episode and this week's story. As we have referred to before, the WHO uh, has quite a lot of COVID-19 related content on their website. Along with statistics and other info, they also have this myth-busting page that we talked about and also advice for the public and do's and don'ts. Up until the 7th of March, the do's and don'ts included a bullet point under the header, quote, the following are not effective against COVID-19 and could be harmful, end quote. And the bullet point was taking traditional herbal medicine. So that was not recommended. But strangely, on 7th of March, that bullet point disappeared. And a whole new section was also added on the same page. And that section was called, are there any medicines or therapies that can prevent or cure COVID-19? Question mark. And it continued... While some Western traditional or home remedies may provide comfort and alleviate symptoms of COVID-19, there is no evidence that current medicine can prevent or cure the disease. 
WHO does not recommend self-medication with any medicines, including antibiotics, as a prevention or cure for COVID-19. However, there are several ongoing clinical trials that include both Western and traditional medicines. WHO will continue to provide updated information, blah, 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 blah. To me, this heavily implies that there's something, uh, something to TCM, which is really bad. TCM isn't even a specific thing. It's a collection of very different practices. You cannot say that it works or not, because each thing has to be tested individually, and it also has been tested. And in a few isolated instances, if it did work, we no longer call it TCM. We call it medicine, because we moved it over to approved medicine, uh, because it has proved to work. So all that remains as TCM are, by definition, things that has not been proven to work or been proven not to work. So, the two changes on the website came after an, edi uh, an editorial meeting in Geneva on 4th of March, and there is no question as to where the lobbying came from. Because a few days later, Chinese health authorities issued new guidelines on their website encouraging TCM, and on that same day, the WHO also changed their advice. And two days later, on the 9th of March, the WHO issued a statement, only in China, strangely enough, where they explained that the changes took place because the previous page, the, pre the page they had before, quote, did not take into account the fact that many people turned to traditional medicines to alleviate some of the milder symptoms of COVID-19, end quote. Argument from popularity. Exactly. It's a bullshit explanation. Fuck's sake. Yeah, because people, even if people use a lot of stupid, non-effective and even sometimes dangerous so-called treatment, that doesn't mean that they work. A and lot it doesn't people, mean that there's any reason yeah. to include them on the WHO advice. A lot of people come looking for Eggman's sexy remedy when they've got COVID-19. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't mean it works. Doesn't mean it works, but it will make you feel no. better. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, again, the WHO is caving in to pressure from Chinese authorities to promote or at least legitimize traditional Chinese medicine when they really shouldn't. So uh, that's really, really bad. It is indeed. Oh, what's, what harm could it do, though, Pontus? Eh? It's not as if we've got a global pandemic going on at the moment or anything. Eh? <laughs> yeah, of course, Originating of from no, China, by the nothing way. Nothing serious, nothing serious. Yeah. But I just had an idea, uh, Brian, that if you want your remedy to really take off, I think you should get in touch with the WHO. Oh, obviously they will endorse anything. They yeah. seem to be desperate <laughs> for solutions. <laughs> yeah. Right. So to wrap this up, uh, for continuing to legitimize TCM and to run the errands of the Chinese authorities, the WHO again gets this week's prize for being really wrong. And I say again, because they I, I forgot to look up which episode it was, but they did get the the prize before when they included this chapter in the ICD. Yeah, I, I remember, but I don't remember which one it was. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Jalana, do we have a quote? We do.
Um, I have a quote from Walter Kochning, who was an Austrian-born educator and diplomat. He said, Let us keep our minds open, by all means, as long as that means keeping our sense of perspective and seeking an an understanding of the forces which uh, mold the world. But don't keep your mind so open that your brains fall out. Mm. There are still things in this world which are true and things which are false. Acts which are right and acts which are wrong. Even if there are statesmen who hide their design under the cloak of high-sounding phrases. Ooh. So does that does this mean that uh, the quote that is mostly attributed to Richard Dawkins originates from uh, Walter Kochnik? We will never find out. I think this is the case because I think uh, be. what uh, Richard Dawkins uses is a uh, paraphrasing of this, which he does quite often. <laughs> ah. And then people mm. attribute the quote to him. Well, yeah, but it's a, it's still a good quote. So yeah, it is a good good quote. Thank you very much. Alrighty. Okay, since it will be quite a long episode, if there, even after editing, seems like it. I yeah. think uh, this concludes the show. Uh, I'd like to um, thank you guys, Yelena and Pontus, and special thanks to Brian for joining us today. Thanks for having me back. All right. Thank you. Great hanging out, guys. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Hey, do. Wash your hands. Keep safe, guys. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Be slut. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Rupert Sheldrake was born uh, in the United Kingdom uh, as a biologist, but he was... Um, he was born as a biologist? <laughs> Sorry, he was born in the United Kingdom. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> That's a bit silly of him. That's natural selection, right? <laughs> I think it would be great to, to be born a biologist. But, uh, he was born through biology. Uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid you have to work a lot to become a biologist. That's the that's problem. So, to me, this heavenly, heavenly, she, whew, heavenly, <laughs> hey, heavenly, I was still on the Pope thing. We are still doing the, the European Skeptics podcast, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the quote is. So, shall I go with a quote? I shall go with a quote. Shall I go with a quote? Yes. Shall I keep continue talking to myself? Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, let's just be clear. We're going to go for the quote now, are we? I just want to make sure we're certain on this. Um, I didn't okay. realise this required so much okay. prep.